0: My name is Dan Underhill, and I am the student pastor here at Lake Hills Church. We're going to continue on in our series called Vinyl, and today we're going to talk about harmony. Look at the person next to you and be like, harmony. (laughs) That sounded completely depressing. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. Now, we're going to talk about harmony, and we're going to talk about the way it affects our relationships, and I can't... Think of a better way to start than to tell you about my own musical prowess, my own uh, musical genius. I know a lot of you are looking at me right now saying, you know, he looks very musical. I could see it. Yeah. I could see him in some skinny jeans and kind of like a hipster haircut, you know. I think he'd rock the stage. I'm about as hipster as this pulpit, okay? That's about as far as I, I am not that hipster. I'm built for heavy lifting and not for speed, Okay? However, that doesn't mean that back all the way in the fifth grade, I didn't pick up an affinity for music. You see, in fifth grade, my best friend was Aaron Paddock. And Aaron Paddock could make a saxophone absolutely sing. And I was like, dang. I was like, you can do it. I can do it. So I got one. Now, that's about where it stopped. I got one. And what he did is he practiced, and he played, and he was in a band. And I was like, I can join the band, too. Watch this. And I'm talking about, like, this is a New Hampshire band. You know what I'm saying? This is not like, you know, Texas. You know, like, that whole, it's a little too much laughter from up there. I think that was some sort of joke about me. But, I mean, we were just, Doing the best we could with this band, you know? And, you know, we would play, we'd march in some parades and things. And I got this thing, and I didn't practice. I didn't read the music. I mean, I learned one song, and I'm like, I got this. And I remember clear as day (laughs) the day that Aaron gave me some powerful advice. It was a day that I'm just sitting there next to him, and I'll I'll give you a little example of how I played. They would just start, and I would literally just grab this saxophone and be like, I would push any knob, any button, blow air through it with zero musical talent whatsoever. Like I was just right? And I was like, that sounds good, right? He's like, no, it's horrible. He literally looks at me and goes, you know, one day you really should learn how to play it. This is about a year in, okay? So I was like, ah, nonsense. But I tell you that because I wasn't playing the instrument the way it was designed to be played. And in our lives, each one of us have a part each one of us play a part we play different roles and parts in relationships and when we play our part the way God intended us to everything works better our relationships will work in better harmony with each other i want to talk to you about three key relationships the relationships that we have with our spouse with our family and our coworkers You see, what I was doing with the saxophone was just doing what I thought I should, not playing it the way it was intended to play. And if we don't play our parts the way God's intended us to play them, we're going to miss out on a beautiful harmony in our relationships that's totally and completely available. Okay? So I wanted to kind of start with that to get you to understand that the Bible lays out a foundation for us. It gives us a foundation that we can build our relationships on, and it doesn't say it's going to be easy. No relationship is easy. How many of you guys are married in the house, right? OK? How many of you guys have kids in the house? right? How many of you guys have a job and have friends? See? It's everybody. Ready? Are those jobs, relationships? parent, child, spouse related are they easy? <laughs> Sir, you're going to want to work on that. (laughs) No, she was honest. We're the ones playing, right? They are not easy. They are not easy. In fact, they're messy. But God never calls us to easy. But he absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, calls us to trust and to obey. And so the first foundation is the foundation of trust. The foundation of trust is absolutely primary in a relationship with a spouse. If you're going to be able to have a sweet, sweet, sweet harmony in a marriage, you absolutely must build it on trust. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 23. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and his body, and is himself its Savior. We're talking about mutual submission. It's the very first verse, verse 20. Submitting to each other mutually. Submit to each other. And it even goes so far as to tell us when we do submit to each other mutually, it shows how we revere Christ. So it's as if The way that we submit in a husband and wife relationship shows how we feel about Christ. Well, I don't have to do this. It's crazy. First of all, I don't know who that guy is that I just made up a voice for, but he's crazy. But we can sometimes get hung up like, I'm not submitting. I'm not submitting to him. He does not even know what he's doing. I'm not submitting to her. She can't even drive the way I think she should drive. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. That is not what it says. It says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The way you submit shows how you feel about Christ. And it's mutual submission. It's no longer trying to get my will done. Instead, it's, hey, what's best for the team here? What's best for you? You see, I don't need anybody to train me or to take me to school, okay, or try to help me figure out how to be selfish, okay? I can do a good enough job on my own of that. I can look out for my own agenda just fine. You know what's harder? It's harder to stop and say, what is it that would work best for my wife? What would set her up for the biggest win, How can I provide an environment that would inspire encourage her and allow her to be all that God's called her to be? And when I do that, I open up the relationship. When I seek my own, all I do is close the relationship up immediately. You see, mutual submission has to start with a heart of service. It has to start with a heart of service. Okay, And when we don't choose to serve each other... It gets rough. Let me put it this way. If someone were to write a book about your marriage and title the book based off of your marriage and what it's like, what would the title of the book be? What would it be, like, War and Remembrance? You know? Maybe The Art of a Deal, right? (laughs) I don't know if we're allowed to laugh at that one. (laughs) Yeah, that guy said it. Or maybe it's The Divine Comedy, right? where you just laugh and you enjoy each other. like That's the way I want my life to be lived. I want my life to be lived laughing with each other. I love my wife, Kelly. And the best thing is when she smiles. And when she smiles, there are zero pupils visible. I mean, they go away and all you see is big white teeth. And it is beautiful and I love to see her laugh. So I'll do stupid things just to make her laugh. Like, I'll set it up, think about it, and be like, how can I get her to just start giggling? Because it makes me laugh. And you know what? Laughter is so good for your relationship. And men, we have a responsibility. Okay? I get it. It does say women submit to your husbands. Yes, it does. One verse. One verse. Continue on in Ephesians chapter 5. You know what you find? A paragraph for men. Right? It's like God knew that there's about eight inches of concrete from here to here that he's going to be like let me just shove some more sentences in. Okay? No, like this is what I meant. No. No, girls? Hey, just submit. You'll be fine. They're like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, got it. Guys were like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Right? And we have to figure it out. But as you continue on in that passage it says submit as Christ laid down his own life for her, the bride, the church. So husbands do the same. And in fact, it goes on to tell you that he did it with intentionality. He did it on purpose. And he did it to present her, the scripture says, look this up later, back to the heavenly father without spot or wrinkle. There was a job that he was doing you see, I got Kelly one way, the way that her parents had raised her. When I made a covenant and I bought a ring and said, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, there was her context, there was her education, there was her community, her church, all that she had been exposed to made up Kelly, and it was mm, mm, mm. fine, 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 way above what I deserve. And that does not alleviate me of the responsibility of bringing her back to God in better condition than I found her. That's what this is talking about. So, men, we have a job to do. And if we are candid for a moment, I know at least for me anyway, I'm the one who does most of the wrinkling. I'm the one who wrinkles it up and messes things up but it's my job to bring her back to her heavenly father in better condition than I received her in. If that's true, I've got a job to do. If that's true, I better make sure I'm finding his foundational biblical principles to do it because I'm not smart enough on my own. And when I do, that's how we establish a culture of honor in our homes. And I think we could all use a little more honor in our homes, am I right? We could, yes. So let's move on to the second foundation is the foundation of honor. And it's talking about the honoring between the parent and child relationships, the family relationships. And this is what it says. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Honor. Students, let me talk to you for a second. It'll work best for you if you honor and obey mom and dad. It just works better. God's not a liar. He can't lie. It absolutely works, okay? But I know because I've been doing a little bit of ministry in this profession for just a few years. You know what the thing I hear the most is? Why are they trying to ruin my life? You guys ever heard that at home? I've heard it here too. Students hear me screaming children, hear me screaming. They are not trying to ruin your life. There is no way that a parent would spend the $8.2 trillion that it costs to raise a child today in Lake Travis if they were trying to ruin your life. They'd be like, do it yourself. (laughs) I'm buying a new car. They're not trying to ruin your life. Your parents are not fighting with you, hear me. They are fighting for you. They want to see you do better than they did. Therefore, they can't tolerate you acting the same way they did. I should close in prayer. I am not smart enough to end right now, though. They love you. They are for you. They are so for you. You have to choose to assume the best, child. You have to choose to assume the best. That's where everything gets crazy, isn't it? Whether you're a parent or a child, we start making assumptions, don't we? Don't we? All of a sudden, we're assuming we know what they're thinking. How do I know? I do it in my car. Oh, you cut me off? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Do you want a piece of this? All right. No, they don't want a piece of this. They don't. This is horrible to them. Nobody wants a piece of this. Okay? So glad Kelly didn't say amen right there but we make assumptions about what someone is thinking. Isn't it so funny, parents, that we went from being teenagers when our parents are kind of getting on us about something, and we're standing there, and, our, and, and we all know, we have all have parents, and they're not you know, perfect, they're human. They're yelling at us, they're instructing us, they're casting marvelous vision into our lives. And they're telling us, I know exactly what you're thinking. You're nah, 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 And you're sitting there going, that is not what I'm thinking at all. And parents, we've been there as the child, haven't we? And then how quick does it shift to the other side where immediately, I know I do this. My kid looks at me and says, but dad, and I'm like, I know exactly what you're thinking. And they're like, no, you don't. <laughs> we assume certain things and we need to assume the best of each other. What would our home relationships look like if we assumed the best of our children? Now, I know I have four sweet little angels that reside in my home, okay? I have damage on walls to prove that they're not always having the best of intentions. That doesn't change my parental role. I choose to assume the best to see the best come out of them. I have to choose to assume the best. There's also not an expiration date on these verses. It says, honor thy father and mother. It doesn't say until you're 18 and then you're done. It says honor. And I understand. I came from a situation that wasn't easy to honor. I didn't have what a lot of you are providing for your kids today. And I don't mean materially. I mean character and value-wise. You're doing a great job. And it's better than what I had available. However, just because my parents' character was not honorable, didn't mean that I was allowed to not honor. You see, when I I choose to honor my parents, it's not talking about their character, it's showing mine. And I will show my character regardless of my age. I will show my character and my integrity regardless of my location or circumstances. Say, that's my father. No, he's not perfect. Don't say nothing about him. I'll come at you all sorts of crazy. That's my mom. Yes. She is missing a few screws. I love her. Don't you say nothing bad about her. And I love her. All five foot four crazy. I love that woman. And I will honor them because they're my parents. And God will command a blessing into my life if I choose to do it. It's kind of self-serving, kids. God says, I'll honor you. But then the verses go on to talk about provoking. Parents, do not provoke your children. How many of you in here get on it? don't you lie in church? How many of you, because I'm one, how many of you mock your kids right to their face? You'll mock them. They'll say something stupid, and you will act, well, a bunch of lying people in church. I'm the only bad guy here? Okay. Just so you know, I'm with them on Wednesday nights. I'm going to find out. But I will, I will mock my kid. Right, they will say something stupid to me, and I'll be like, did you just say, look at you, up here stirring Kool-Aid. You don't even know the flavor. And they're like, Kool-Aid? Flavors? What are you talking about? I mean, I will, I'm, I'll chest bump my son and knock him clear across the room and be like, should have known. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Right? I mean, I, I will, and it, it, we're human, we're fractured, we're all making mistakes. I'm not advocating this, I'm just saying I'm messed up. And so are you, and relationships are messy. But I can't provoke my kids, I can't provoke them. You know why we usually provoke is when we lack understanding. We typically provoke when we lack understanding. If we don't understand it, then we'll provoke it. We'll push at it. We'll make fun of it. We'll question it. And I'll tell you right now, parents, your kids are dying for your vision. They want someone to lead them. They are dying for vision. How do I know? I was preparing a message for our kids here on Wednesday nights, and i was going to show the entitlement versus sacrifice mentality how many of you guys have heard about the entitlement generation you've seen it they work for you something whatever yeah. i was great i was preparing the message going yeah entitled kids mm, yeah a bunch of entitled you don't even know i had a rock growing up that rock was my friend and i was happy that i had a rock and the sand was jealous of the rock cuz the rock was my friend the sand wasn't you got an ipad no i was i was all mad doing this whole thing and i'm like wait a minute and i started to look at it and say Entitlement is the antithesis of sacrifice. And I was like, these kids sacrifice. I wanted to find that they didn't sacrifice, but then I started looking at their schedules. And I said, these kids get up at five o'clock and go to acceleration camp before they end up going to practice. Then they go to practice. Then they go to school. After the in school, they're taking AP classes. So college level classes. And then they're doing something extracurricular, whether it's football, it's dance, it's band, it's hosa, it's, Deca, it's some sort of club. They're in choir. I was like, these kids know how to sacrifice. It has nothing to do with entitlement. I'm not saying that there aren't kids that are entitled. I'm not saying that there aren't problems. What I am saying is what is the vision that we have cast that is so compelling for the next generation that they don't have time to be entitled? They're too busy working for the vision God's called them to and that you cast as the leader of the next generation to say, come with me, we don't have time for this. You don't have time for that boy right now because you're too busy on your path to what God's called you to. You don't have time for that young girl who's gonna wreck your relationship with your parents because you're too busy getting ready for your calling and your career. You don't have time for for drugs or alcohol or addiction or problems in relationships and drama. You are called to a higher purpose. Let me show you what it is because I've done the hard work. I've prayed the prayers. I've fasted for my kids. I've put my face in the book and said, God, give me a vision for my kids. And when you get it, they will follow you. And I love you too much to not tell you our kids need a vision. It is one of our greatest, greatest privileges, to provide a vision for the next generation. Now you might be sitting here and say, "I don't have kids." You're totally missing me. No, you got kids. I walked into the middle school and they, One of the principals asked me. They said, "Hey, are, do you still have a child here?" I said, "I got about 400 of them." Why? Every one of them are mine. Every one of them matters. And they may not have my blood, but they got my spirit. They have got my fire. They've got something to do in this world, and it's my job to help them do it, whether they're blood or kin or not. It's my job, regardless of age, race, or location. It is my job to inspire and to lead the next generation. And I'm telling you, they want to. They want to. They've just got to have something compelling enough to put a video game down for a minute. You've got to cast something that's worth sacrificing for. You've got to cast something. Because the alternative is not worth it. Let me explain to you. There's, there's a portion of Scripture. We're not going to go there. But in Numbers and in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 9 and in Numbers 14, it talks about generational curse and generational blessing. And if you do the study, what you'll find is that the sins of the father are passed down to the second and the third generation. But the blessings of God go on for thousands of generations. Now, you have to be keenly aware that you do things like your parents. You didn't mean to. In fact, you used to rant and rave about how when you were a teenager, I won't do it this way. When I have kids, I will do it this way. We all did that, didn't we? I remember the one day I was washing my hands in the sink and I looked down and I went, oh, wow. That looks just like Robert Underhill's hand. That's my dad. Then it was a few weeks later, I heard myself saying something that he said. He's like, oh, if you're not five minutes early or 10 minutes late, I'm like, oh, that's a good saying. It's actually smart. Eve? Eve? Not five minutes earlier, ten minutes late. That's genius, I made that up. But I realized that my father was passing things down to me, and he passed something else down to me. Anger. That's been a struggle in my life. I can get hot quick. And I realized, studying these biblical principles, that I have a responsibility in my children. Whatever I don't conquer in my life, I will pass down to their life. Whatever I don't battle for and wage war for purity, wage war for integrity, wage war for work ethic, absolutely grind out good values, stand up and do what's right. I don't care if nobody else stands up and does it right. You do what's right. And if I battle for that in my life and I take that battlefield and I win that war, I pass on a harvest field to my kids where they don't have to struggle with what I struggled with. Doesn't mean it will be perfect. Doesn't mean everything will go absolutely pristine in their life. But I can change The efficiency in which my kids get to their calling by what I eradicate in my own personal life. I can absolutely change that. Now, for sure, know that Christ's death on the cross changes and flips the entire script and says, nope. Without Christ and the cross, there is no hope. But as soon as that hope is realized and recognized, now your future is bright and there is a hope, and it's way beyond what you could think, dream, ask, or imagine. How do I know? I came from a family that no one ever graduated from more than high school, and most didn't even do that. And then go on to three schools and get stacks of papers that tell everybody that I'm smart. If I can do it, You can do it. You can leave that behind. But you have to choose to intentionally leave it behind. And you have to work. And you have to pray. And you have to work. And you have to not give up mom and dad. The battle you fight inside of yourself is worth it for the generation that's watching you. Keep fighting. When you do that... You will create honor and loyalty. You'll create a home of honor and loyalty. And loyalty is the last foundation stone when it comes to our co-workers. You have to have a foundation of loyalty. Galatians 6, 5 through 9 says this, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as a bondservant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, they will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a bondservant or free, masters, do not do the same and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And that... There is no partiality with him. I want to give you a working definition of this loyalty a strong feeling of support and allegiance. I don't know about you, but in the workforce today, there's not a lot of loyalty anymore. We don't live in the day where there are pipe fitters and that's what they do for 50 years and then they retire. It's a this job, and then this one will get me to the next job. How can I leverage this relationship to get to the next relationship? It's stepping stones the whole way. And God is calling us, if we say that we're a Christ follower, to work with integrity, to be the same at work as we are at home. It's not just cheating and fudging over here because the partners need us to do this, or it'll help the sales because this is what this company's based on. Let me say this. If you can't agree with the mission and the vision of your company, you shouldn't be taking the paycheck. You can't take the paycheck and disagree with the head. It would be horrible. It would be so horrible. If I didn't believe in, if I didn't push the vision, that God had given Mac Richard for this church. I don't agree with him, but I'm going to take the paycheck? No. I'm going to have more integrity than that. The way I'm going to talk about my boss in my home is the way I'm going to talk about him to his face. My kids are watching. My coworkers are watching. The way I'm going to talk about them and treat them has got to be the same there as his home. And I know it's difficult. We all make mistakes with this. We do. That doesn't change the principles that are in here. You see, your boss is not your God, but your God is absolutely your boss. God is your boss. You work for him. So when you punch in, you act as if he's watching because he is. Not as a grumpy old grandfather who's just looking to catch you doing something wrong. No, Because you bear his name. Those are the same people you should be inviting to church and inviting into your life where they can see the harmony and the melody and the sound of your relationships with your wife and your kids and your coworkers and say, that sounds good to me. I want what it is you have. How do I get it? Well, in order to get what I have, you've got to do what I do. You can't just get it without working for it. you got to sacrifice. you got to push in and do the difficult so you can see God do impossible things in your life because he would love to open up those doors. You see, you will absolutely reap what you sow. I know it's a little bit of a lost illustration because we don't live in an agricultural society. Instead of going out and plowing our own backyards, we go to HEB, pick it off the rack, and put it in the cart. You will absolutely reap what you sow. You cannot get what you didn't give, except when it comes to Christ. That's the only place in His grace. You see, you can't take withdrawals when you didn't make deposits. It's called theft. When it comes to work, put in the work. When it comes to your spouse, put in the work. When it comes to your children, put in the work. When it comes to your parents, put in the work. And you will be able to see a harvest in your life. You'll see fruit. Just because you plant doesn't mean it grows and it produces fruit. No you got to water that with prayer. you got to water that with integrity. you got to water that with doing the right thing and letting the chips fall where they may. you got to water that with giving grace and assuming the best. You have to water that with forgiving and letting them move on. Someone who may have wronged you in one of those relationships that's absolutely crippling you internally. And you're holding on to it. Let it go. Throw some grace on it. Water it with forgiveness. And assume the best. And see what God can't do. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here today because someone loved you enough to invite you. They cared enough to bring you into this place. To hear about relationships, yes. But there is one critical relationship that trumps all the rest. It's the one between you and Jesus that we talked about at the beginning. When he died on that cross, it was for your sin and mine to make us whole again. So that that way relationships... can be lived out in harmony because without him it's fruitless so if you're here and that's you and you're sensing God's call on your heart he's saying I want you back because you were his he created you, he loved you, he made you just the way you are because he knew the world needed exactly what you have but you've wandered and you recognize in this moment he wants you back so with heads bowed, would you say a quiet prayer to yourself, saying, God, I choose you. I choose you. Would you forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and be my Savior? Would you help me to live a life? There's a beautiful song for others to sing and see. if you just did that, you are so important to God and you are so important to us. Would you just slip your hand up to let us know because we pray for you. Would you just slip your hand over your head so that way we can see it wherever you are. The reason why we have you do that is we want you to know you matter to us and you matter to God. We'd encourage you to talk to someone here on staff about that decision before you leave but we have a tradition around here that when you put your hands down we put our hands together and we say welcome home welcome home